welcome to Koshian Cast, the world's number one source for two guys complaining about all the sports anime they claim to love. <laughs> my, my name is Matt, and joining me today, as you already heard, is a special guest, Matt. Hey, what's going on, everyone? Alright, so this is week eight of the fall anime season, uh... Covering November 20th to the 26th, we'll be going over every currently airing sports anime as we do every week. As you may have heard in the intro, we've got a couple changes to the format, slight changes. Uh, One, we're going to adjust the intro. Uh, Traditionally, we've proclaimed ourselves as the world's best and only sports anime fan podcast. Um, While we are free to believe that in our own minds, we are not the only sports anime fan podcast, so... As we have discovered, so... We didn't really feel comfortable claiming that title, uh, and it it felt a little presumptuous. So we're we're not going to identify ourselves that way um, anymore, and so in the future what we're going to do, at least least for a while until we we settle on something, is we're just going to come up... With a different uh, little moniker every week and try and surprise each other. Um, also, we're going to make a couple adjustments with how we do the episode summaries this week. Uh, we're going back to a system where we're going to alternate and just go back and forth with who's responsible for summarizing each episode. And additionally, we're going to try to cut the, the times of the summaries down a little bit. Um, because the, the back and forth discussion is really, we feel, the more interesting part. So we'll just hit a few key beats on the episodes and then go into our discussion from there. Uh, we assume if you're really engaged with the, the content, you've already seen the episode anyway, so yeah. you don't need a, a deep summary. Um, the last note I want to make before we dive in is that uh, March Comes In Like a Lion did not air an episode this week. Um, I couldn't really find anything on why. Uh, overall, the series is supposed to air either 22 or 23 episodes. I got conflicting reports. Um, so they can afford to miss a week this season without getting off schedule. Uh, but it's not clear whether that was planned or unplanned. I'm uh, hoping it was planned because I really don't want it. Because as we've seen already this season with other shows that take breaks, they tend to go down a little... They tend to go downhill from there if it's unplanned yeah i i would be kind of surprised if it was unplanned because march has a lot of financial support it's incredibly popular it doesn't really feel thus far like it's operating on a shoestring or anything right anyway so all those announcements being made uh matt do you want to dive in with yuri on ice okay so really what this episode was about was yurio's reintroduction to the series he's been kind of missing for a while but he and Yuri are finally facing off face-to-face in the newest tournament. Um, I believe this is the China Cup, correct? No, that was the one they just finished. This is Moscow. Oh, well. Oh, yeah, duh. Sorry, I knew that. Um, so basically, they have a whole host of new competitors. We have Sungil, the Korean, who uh, basically has a bit more of a mathematical approach. And then, of course, we have the new best character, uh, JJ, or Jean-Jacques Leroy. The Canadian champ uh, slash rock rock band guy. Singer? Yeah, there you go. That's the one. Okay, so, and essentially, then at the end of the episode, what we have is basically... uh, We find out that Victor's dog had to be taken to the vet because he got into some... I think they mentioned some, like, rolls. I think they... He got into some food he shouldn't have. And he had to be taken to the vet, and they actually kind of left it on a dark note that the dog may not make it. 
Yeah, um, it was it was an interesting end, way to end the episode because what it left at the end was that Victor wouldn't necessarily be there for the second round of competition in order to coach Yuri. Right, which is also kind of a uh, it's a it was a good opportunity to show uh, Yuri's growth because we know that the reason he lost in his in the Grand Prix that began the series, he had gotten news that his dog had actually already died, and he was basically completely shaken up about it. Here at the end of the episode, we actually have him taking on an active role because he tells Victor very confidently, go, to, go home, I will take care of myself for this part. Right. So this is actually, it was a very good, interesting, like, very subtle way to end the episode. Hmm. Uh, well, yeah, and, and the other factor there, which will be set up in presumably some more discussion of Victor's background next week, is that Victor recommended that Yakov, who is Yurio's coach and Victor's former coach, just coach Yuri for the next section, which right. obviously is interesting because he's a competitor. Yeah, exactly. Not only that, but Yuri's whole... Th like, that's the interesting thing as well, is that Yuri's whole routine is based off the fact that he's trying to impress Victor. Mm. Like, he's trying to get reactions out of Victor. He wants Victor to only pay attention to him, right. basically. And so now he has to kind of, Now we're thrown into a setting where he has... He doesn't have his motivation there anymore. He doesn't have his main source of inspiration there. Yeah. So anyway, I think we jumped a little forward to um, what our expectations are for next week. But do you want to go through some of the routines? Because largely this episode was similar in format to the last two. And it was just six skaters going through their routines, um, but just in a different tournament. Right, that is correct. Uh, so I mentioned it before, Sung Gil... Uh, he, I kind of mentioned this before, he has a bit more of a mathematical approach, because he's got an actually a pretty interesting style that I kind of want, I wish they would delve a little bit more into, because he actually doesn't really care that much about his actual routine, or listening much of a reaction. He just cares about the points, and it's actually the first time we've ever gotten any sort of insight into how the scoring actually works. Right. Uh, because he's just like, okay, so I'm using, uh, I think he mentions he does like a, uh, I think he does like a triple axle or something like that. He's like, okay, so this is how many technical points I get for doing that. I did kind of botch the ending, but my, but my multiplier for the attempt in the first place should balance out my failure here. Right. Yeah, so he goes through his whole routine, and it's interesting because they, the audience notes that he doesn't really have much of an expression on his face. Right. He's not trying to get the audience involved. He's just trying to maximize the points he earns with the judges, and he keeps a running tally of his points as he skates. Right. Which, again, yeah, you'd think it, there has to be the cold calculating computer character. Eventually we got him. Right. But I, I appreciate his presence, and I'm actually a little bit disappointed that we're not going to get more... Because this isn't the type of series that seems to want to really explain how the figure skating works. Mm -hmm. And this is, I've enjoyed his presence just on the basis that he, like, he gave us some insight into that. Yeah. Yeah, so, and then we had a couple other skaters who we're going to probably not see much more of after next week's episode. Right. Um, so, there was an, uh, the Italian Michelle <laughs> Crispino, uh, who's 
guiding characteristic is that he wants to skate in a way that will prevent his sister from ever leaving his side. So he wants to stay competitive enough that he and his sister can always skate together. And his sister, in the meantime, realizes that he has kind of a one-sided dependent relationship on her and that it's not healthy for either of them but he (laughs) sees it as totally natural that he wants to make sure no man ever loves his sister more than he does uh Uh, yeah it was a little uncomfortable um but it the the upside for me was that his sister who is also a figure skater named sala uh acknowledged that this was weird and unhealthy instead of (laughs) being cool with it you know right you know not not being like oh it's so sweet that he wants to try and protect me it's like no this is really creepy this guy is getting mad that i'm going out to dinner with just some other dude exactly Um, yeah so she went out to dinner or something it wasn't clear with emil yeah or at least was going to before her brother got involved and so the other very interesting aspect about this is the fact that she apparently knows yuri it's never really touched upon Mm -hmm. but like so there's a scene uh when they're waiting when yuri goes to the elevator and he's waiting uh sung gil is there that's how we're introduced to him uh he's waiting for the elevator and it opens up and they're kind of in the middle of a scene already with uh uh with with uh mikhail basically yelling at emil basically like you're taking out my sister how dare you and then uh sala is just like oh hey yuri what's up yeah so it there's kind of this weird uh there's this kind of like very weird like close like quick close up on Yuri's eyes kind of his like his eyes kind of widening like holy crap she's here yeah my my assumption was that we'll well number one my assumption is that we'll see next episode what their background is I, I can't imagine that we're done seeing things from her perspective right. um. But my other assumption is that they just trained together in America. That seems to be where most of his outside connections come from, outside of his hometown. Right. Um, so, uh, my theory on her character is, and bear with me for a minute here, it's okay. kind of a weird one. Okay, a lot good of premise. This... <laughs> a lot of this series has been about... It, it's been a lot of commentary on sports anime. Uh-huh. About how, you know, we, we've kind of gone into this before in previous episodes, where it's basically like, this is a female gaze into sports anime. Mm-hmm. And one of the tropes of a lot of sports anime, especially recently, is that there's, like, in order to kind of alleviate a lot of the tensions between a lot of the guy characters, there's always this insistence in throwing on in, like, a single or maybe, like, one or two girl characters. Mm-hmm. Who are there basically to kind of assure the re- assure the reader? Oh no, these characters aren't gay. See, look, there's an interest in this character. Like, right. see, look, they're actually interested in this character. So I'm wondering if Yuri on Ice is going to try and go in that direction somehow, or make some sort of commentary on that with Sala. Uh, like as if there were some prior relationship between her and Yuri, but. The fact is that Yuri's, you know, moved on or yeah. discovered himself or something to that effect. Yes, that's kind of... Because it seems weird because if they wanted to just bring back a char- a female character that, you know, he got to know, why they would just bring back in Pitchett's sister somehow, Sure, I feel like. Because yeah. they've already kind of established her as already being kind of that type of character. Yeah. 
Hmm. Um, so it seems interesting to me that they would come up that they would bring in yet another ca- female character who seems to have some sort of background history on Yuri. Yeah. Well, yeah, and that was when um, we were initially talking about the episode. I think you said, and for me too, my both our initial assumptions was that when she appeared, that was Pitchett's sister because. Well, it's a girl, and she knows Yuri. We, you know, we assumed there can only be one. Um, so I thought that I thought that was good to see overall. Uh, the last new character I wanted to to bring up was, like you mentioned in the summary, Jean Jacques Leroy, um, who is a Canadian skater. And the interesting thing, well, there's a couple interesting things about him. One is that he performs his own music right so the so the music he skates to is by the band that he's the lead singer for um it actually was pretty fun like it was it was a pretty pretty cool song um and also i think i think the the biggest thing in terms of his role as a character is that he is explicitly very masculine right you know in a way that that a number of other characters aren't or at least you know as much as you know you can be but he's making an effort to have his figure skating defined by um his athleticism you know it's less about finesse it's more about doing the biggest strongest boldest craziest moves because he's wild (laughs) and he goes to the limit you know um so as, as a character, he's very much he's a lot more upfront. He's much less sensitive. He just gets in people's face. He's not mean. He's just very forthright. Um, and I don't know. I th- I thought he was really fun. I thought his skating routine was more interesting than many. I right. thought the music was good. Uh, overall, I I liked him a lot just as as a character. I thought he was fun, kind of a manic half-insane person, <laughs> uh, but who's still operating as one of the guys to beat. Right. Well, uh, it's interesting you brought up how his routine seems a lot more, like, interesting than a lot of the others. Yeah. Because I, I kind of made note of that myself in my notes here. Um, one of the things I re- that really struck me is that they use different camera angles. Like, like, they use a lot of different camera work for his routine. Because oh, really? a lot of the times, it's just so, the camera has just sort of been following the characters as they pr- they perform, right? And you know they kind of the uh, you know the characters they kind of go in in and out of frame naturally as they would, or not really in and out of frame, but they kind of the camera just kind of moves along with them, and then they kind of move in and out of the foreground as they will. Basically. Okay. Um, one of the really interesting things about JJ is that. There are a lot of close-ups, like, during, like, the middle of his routine. Because generally they would just use close-ups during other performances to just kind of show, like, key moments. Uh, This time, though, we actually get a lot more close-up of him, like, just sort of, like, during his axles. The camera's, like, really close up on JJ. And you can kind of watch him just spin in and out of frame. And it really does a great job of capturing that that intensity. Because you're never really quite sure where he's going to come from next. Mm. Um, and I just I thought that was a really interesting and like a unique way of showing how he's different without just again going into the step by step beat of what he's doing differently hmm. cool yeah, that's interesting <laughs> the, uh, so I think the, the last thing we need to discuss with this episode is uh, what's the status of Victor and Yuri's relationship uh, I mean it's actually not for like shockingly it was not really addressed in fact i thought it was 
extremely odd that nobody was going to like because the beginning of the episode starts with like Victor like doing like doing an interview with like a Russian uh-huh. like, news station and basically they're just kind of asking him about it's like oh you know when are you going to come back when are you going to come back like are you going to do anything else and uh, so is nobody just going to acknowledge the fact of I mean even if we're working under the assumption that he didn't kiss Yuri like on the lips are we just Nobody's just going to acknowledge the fact that he just very aggressively cuddled Yuri on the rink. Yeah. I mean, you'd think it would be a story. Yeah, um, you'd think so. But no, everybody's just like, oh, are you going to come back, Victor? Yeah, I don't know. I, I guess, we, yeah, we could talk about that briefly. The, I wonder whether that's the show... Like, you don't want to say it. So, somehow, this is still... Even though it's very explicit that these two characters are attracted to each other or whatever. Right. That the it, show universe doesn't want to acknowledge their relationship. Right. Um, it, just to stay an, on the safe side of that gray area. I don't know. That, that's a very interesting point because, so the general attitude towards homosexuality in Japan is basically you don't talk about it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not necessarily considered wrong but you do not discuss it with other people. Mm-hmm. So I guess looking at it from that angle, that's a very, I guess, way that's culturally unique to Japan. Is that basically they're kind of, much how, like, in Japan, how nobody's going to talk about, like, oh, you know, those two are totally going out. The show is not going to just outright t- have characters talking about them. Yeah. About these two characters and their clearly more than friends relationship. Sure. Um, the only other other moment that I thought was relevant to this was right at the beginning of Yuri's routine, which we didn't really even address. He he, Yuri skated also in this episode. Um, <laughs> right. I think I think he got we first. kind of yeah. Well, he got first until uh, JJ unseated him. Right. Um, but he did extremely well. He performed his routine better than he'd ever done it. He out he. You know, on the short routine in China, he got his best score ever for a short routine. He improved on that score in Moscow. Um, he managed to piss off Yurio. And then uh, after that, Yurio was so frustrated, one, by Victor giving all his attention to Yuri, and two, by the fact that his grandfather didn't show up for his performance, that he tried to perform Agape. Uh, and show unconditional love, but he was unable to because he was just pissed off. So he spent right. the whole time in his routine thinking about how angry he was and how hard it was to skate this routine, which I thought was just a fun note because a lot of times you focus so much on the grace of it and you don't think about how this is an incredibly taxing athletic event. Right. Huh, uh, that's yeah. That's interesting. So I, I, I enjoyed that. Uh, the one thing I wanted to say was with, with Yuri and Victor, at the beginning of Yuri's routine, he sort of... Uh, he grabs Victor by the tie and pulls his face down beside yeah. his own face and says, do, you know, don't you see the uh, the performance has already begun? Um, <laughs> and He's getting a little bit more uh, aggressive with his assertions. It, right, exactly. I think it's that that for me was him trying to get into character of you know seducing right. Victor, such as it was. Um, but yeah, so overall, I thought it was a fun episode. Even though I had 
uh, asked last week that please don't let this be another six skaters do skating episode and it was exactly that um they make it, it work it, they made it work because they had some diverse styles and some interesting characters and Honestly, uh, JJ can make up for anything. At this point, <laughs> I'm a complete JJ fanboy. Yuri is in the backseat for me. Um, <laughs> I, I am looking forward to seeing him appear in every episode for the rest of the series. Which is funny, because like I said before this show started, my my fear was that the Canadian, who I didn't even know what his name was, but the Canadian would be underrepresented. Uh, right. so luckily my, my prediction bore out that he'd be my favorite. Anyway, so, uh, are you comfortable moving on to Haikyuu? Yeah, let's do it. Alright, so Haikyuu episode 8, uh, again, they're in the fifth set. The The big issue with this set is that it, although in, in the past they played each set to 25 points, the fifth set only goes to 15 points, so each point really matters. Um, in the beginning of the set... Hinata is able to undermine Ushiwaka's play somewhat and throw him off. And Ushiwaka gets frustrated because he doesn't feel like Hinata's actually smart. He just feels like he's annoying. And Ushiwaka <laughs> actually gets emotional and pissed off and decides that he wants to crush Hinata specifically. You know, usually he's sort of above the fray, but now he's emotionally invested. He wants to destroy Hinata. Um, also, <clears throat> after some... Really well animated warm up scenes. Kageyama comes back in the game, uh, replacing Sugawara. He is able to serve and then come back in as the setter, at really uh, apparently at, at full power again. Um, also interesting in this episode, you have a flashback to the coach of Shira Torizawa back when he was in high school. And there's an interesting parallel here where he was too short to play to start on his high school volleyball team and instead of learning any special techniques or anything to take advantage of his height he was pretty much blocked his coach said like you can play when you're taller and so he wasn't able to play so he dreamed of creating his own team that relied simply on unbeatable strength instead right. of uh and not having to worry about his height anymore um and then by the end of the episode, the, the two teams have worked themselves almost to... They've worked themselves to a deuce, uh, and ultimately Shira Torizawa is able to take the lead. Um, Coach Ukai yells at them, Don't you dare look down. Volleyball is a sport where you always look up. And in that moment, uh, Suki runs back onto the court, and it looks like he's going to get subbed back in uh, to try and hold on where... You know, if Krasno loses one more point, they lose the game. Okay, so there's something that you brought up there that I really just want to make an immediate note of. This has been kind of the elephant in the room regarding Haikyuu that we've actually, we, we've kind of, we've made note of in our notes, but we've never discussed on the show, which was okay. in the production of Haikyuu, um, Ukai's voice actor passed away. Yeah. And, um, so... From what I understand, they recorded everything up to episode 8. And so, volleyball is a sport where you're always looking up, where actually his final, like, that voice actor's final words in the series. Yeah, th those are the last words he recorded and, right. as a voice actor. Yeah, And that, and it's like, man, what an 
uplifting message. <laughs> yeah, what a what a what a way. I, I, mean, I, I don't know. It, like seeing how like I don't know when I was watching it and I was thinking about that. Like I don't know. It really got me a little bit. Yeah, I agree. Um, but yeah, it's like man, like that's his parting message to the world. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, no, that was that was as much as you could ask for, I guess, considering <laughs> how terrible the circumstances. Right. Were. I mean, it could have been something worse. Worse, like. Okay, guys, what do we do next? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean, that's most <laughs> of his lines, you know. Right. Um, um, anyway. But, yeah. So, one other, So, what was your general takeaway from this episode overall? <sighs> overall, I really enjoyed it. I thought it was... The big thing for me is that I felt the tension in a way that I haven't in some of the more recent episodes right because it's almost always just been one side just starts pulling enormously ahead and then the other side catches up which i guess admittedly that's kind of what's happening here a little bit but it feel because we're actually had a lower scoring where it, it feels a little bit more tense because it, there's not nearly as many points to make up mm-hmm. yeah exactly every point matters right. uh in a way that it didn't feel like it did before um, I also just appreciate how dynamically everything was animated. Haikyuu has been an extremely well-animated show the entire season, but somehow this episode took a step forward. Right. Um, where key little moments that you wouldn't think to give the animation budget they did get animated right. extremely well. For example, I reference that Kageyama is standing on the sidelines before he goes in, and he's just jumping up and down. Right. And they pay extremely close attention to that moment animating his jumps his hair flopping up and down really really attentively uh the same thing happens at the end of the episode when suki runs back on the court it's gorgeous but it's just him jogging right so there's a Um, lot of little moments that really hit me um in addition um, to the dynamic ones on the court something i noticed that i really love that really adds like a sense of realism to what they're doing because there's kind of like the series has this kind of interesting like semi-stylistic but also semi-realistic feel where um for example when they all when they uh when they do like a synchronized block yeah um when when you watch them do that you can notice that um one of the people like one of the players is always slightly off when they begin their ducking down. Yeah, I noticed that too. <laughs> I don't know that it somehow impressed me so much that right. well because they're they're paying attention to how people actually move because while they're synchronized in their jump, the ducking down part they don't need to be as synchronized with. Right. Um. Like people are not going to be as naturally in sync during these moments. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they pay attention to which parts actually need to be regimented and which ones don't. So they still right. all move as individuals. Yeah, exactly. And that, and that's a good way to put it. There, It's very... There's a lot of individuality in this series. Uh-huh. Um, and, uh, like, and again, the animation serves that. Yeah. There was another very small detail I really enjoyed that... Um, I think it can get really easily overlooked. I almost did. I didn't notice it until my second watching. Until my uh, second watch. So in the stands, when they when uh, Karasuno begins their big cheer, when their when their side basically does, right. like the people in their audience. Yes. Um. One of the people who's there is the vice principal. Okay. Um. 
and what he ends up doing is he gets so into it that he um you can see him shaking his fake hair <laughs> um as a pom-pom <laughs> and it's a very brief no- moment but it also says a lot about the progression of this team because if you remember this entire series got started because the uh the vice principal was mad at them uh, because they accidentally knocked off his fake wig. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's a throwback. Yeah. And so, this is showing how that doesn't matter to this vice principal anymore. Wow. Because he's exposing the fact that he's bald to the world because he's getting that into it. Yeah. Wow, now. Good, it's good like, call. It's like, wow, now that is just a... It's like... And again, th- that's like a second. Mm-hmm. And this is, like, 50 episodes after the fact. Right. Like, this has been a character that has never been referenced again. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's intense. Um, um, I, I definitely didn't notice that. I'm glad you did. It's, like, it, it's just one of those small things. It's, like, everybody has a little story here. Even mm. completely unimportant characters. Mm-hmm. Um, and since we're on the subject of the tier, do you want to, like... There's, there's a scene during this that's really... Like, I'm trying... To, it, it works so well, and I can't figure out why. Because okay. there's this whole thing... Because, so, Karasuno basically starts cheering, and then the Shiratori Zawa side, oh. like, basically drowns them out by singing their, um... Basically, their school anthem. Uh-huh. And what happens is, like, this... Their song goes into the game, and this game is being played over... Like, is basically... The song is basically playing over it. Right, they're sing they're singing while the 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 team is playing. Right, and it's a very powerful moment for me, and I cannot figure out why. Yeah, I was th- I was hoping you were gonna bring that up actually because I had the same reaction because w- the way it starts is the two side the fan sections on either side are doing their own cheers back and forth and trying to drown each other out. And it's getting everybody motivated. Eventually, the Shiratorizawa side just stops and sings their school song. Right. I think what throws... I think it just throws off the tone because Karasuno, they're just trying to scream. You know, they're trying... Right. They're, they're angry and they're excited and they're just trying to scream loud enough to motivate their team, right? The difference right. is that Shiratorizawa, at first they're playing Karasuno's game, right? So they're just screaming back. They're trying to scream louder. Then they pause and they sing and they sing their school song. They and what what that says to me is that they don't need in their own minds anyway. They don't need to play Karasuno's game because they're elite. Because they have a an identity. The reason they're singing their school song, they have an identity of victory, right? Interesting. So, so they just instead of getting worked up. They relax and they sing and they sing from a place of confidence because they are expressing this is our identity, we are the winners, and they are declaring it and they're declaring it as a statement. And Karasano, the fan section, they try to yell through it, but really they can't they right. can't overcome that confidence. And it really so what you see on the court then, so the Karasano side kind of uh, withers a bit, the fan section. Right. And then you see the Karasano players just get pissed off, right? So they right. they just get angry because the other side is declaring over and over, "We are the winners. This is who we are." And um, the players sort of get get frustrated and say, "Like, well, we don't care if anyone's cheering for us or not. 
you guys aren't the winners. You don't get to just declare yourselves the winners. That's what I took from it. Okay, that's a really interesting... I like that better than what I was thinking, honestly. Okay. Um, because I, you're right, because there's like a unity to it, almost. Like, this is an entire school that's united mm, yeah, in this totally. one cause. Well, I, I'm building off of what you were saying. This actually wasn't what I was thinking. Okay. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, this is an... So, whereas Karasuno has been this very scrappy, like, unorganized team, like... A lot of these people out in the stands are basically like new fans to Karasuno. Yeah, they just Where got Shiro dragged Morizawa there. has this long <laughs> upheld tradition mm-hmm. of like victory and like you know they're a renowned volleyball school. Yeah, totally. And I guess you're right. That is kind of like a reminder of that. I almost took it this. I had a completely different direction what I was trying to make of it, which was I almost saw it almost as feeling like a graduation. Oh yeah. Because I, because I believe... Yeah, they sing their school song at graduation. Yeah, yeah they sing their school... And, like, because we're reaching the end of the game, and they're basically, like, singing, like, this is our graduation. This is, like, this is our moment, not yours. Hmm. That's interesting. Yeah. I, I, I can see where that would be an illusion they're going for. Um, is it... I, again, I don't know. I think the magic of it works in that it's not really clear why it affects you. You know? Cause right. The great thing, what we've said about Haikyuu and what sets it apart from a lot of its peers is that Haikyuu refuses to go into your head too much, especially this season, and say, have some character's internal monologue where they're like, oh, this is why this matters. This is why they're doing it. You know, they have a little more trust in their audience. That was somewhat less true last season when the advisor had to explain over and over exactly how they were fitting together like a <laughs> clock. But right. I have chosen to move on emotionally from that. <laughs> well, you know, you're right. Because this feels like... A, uh, I remember I was reading a post online. I don't remember where I read it. But it's like, this feels almost like... this fe- like. The cold opening to the very first episode feels like it's an introduction to a movie. Like, this isn't just, like... This isn't, like, a TV series. This is a, uh... This is basically a five-hour movie that we're watching here. Mm. And... Like, with a movie, you don't have the... The time to explain all that. Because you've got to fit it all in. Mm-hmm. Like, you got to fit in all your character development. You can't have characters constantly explaining what you can do. That's a benefit you get in TV. Mm. So... Kind of looking at it from that perspective, that's kind of what this... This feels like the movie version of Haikyuu, but, like, as an actual TV series. Yeah. Yeah. Was there anything else that stuck out to you about this episode? Um, I want to talk about uh, Hinata's palm block. <laughs> oh, the palm block? The palm block and the face block. <laughs> yeah, let's just talk about both. I was okay. I was going to limit it to one, but screw it, whatever. We're, high, we're amped on IQ. Okay. Okay, so... The, the face block. There's so much... Again, we've kind of talked about this before. We've been talking about, like, a lot of the small details. But it's like, this is a... this These two moments were really good examples of, like, the kinetic energy in, like, the animation of the series. And the camera work. Mm-hmm. Um, so, one of the things I really love about the face block is, like... This is a series that effectively knows how to use slow-mo. Because... How we, like, the way it goes is that we, it's like, the ball is moving, is like, we get like a side shot of, of the ball almost like descending and gliding onto 
Hinata. Mm-hmm. And you can watch as his face, as his head turns before the, like, just before the ball is hitting him. Mm-hmm. Which comes back in later. Yeah. It's because we, so that way we know it's a conscious effort for him. Because they addressed that, that he knew what was happening. Mm-hmm. And then, like, immediately after that, it cuts to, it cuts to behind them. And there's, like, a pause there. And then all of a sudden, the series just starts going in normal speed, it, at normal speed. And it's like a giant burst of energy all of a sudden. To kind of indicate, it's like, no, this wasn't just a gentle tap against Hinata. This was a full force slam against him. Right. And, like, and I love the way that they can use the slow-mo in order to con- to basically convey what's going on and then still come back from the impact of that. Hmm. Um, and then the other thing was the palm black, the palm block. Um, so, like, again, this is another instance where we get a decent amount of slow-mo just to show how the ball is moving um, so it's kind of like the ball is very slowly moving towards uh, to Ushiwaka. It's like the camera is like fixated on the ball, and then we kind of see a hand come up, smack the ball, and it starts going at normal energy. And then all of a sudden, like a hand just shot shoots up from like like right in front of the camera. Mm. Yeah, that's right. And uh, and then we it pauses. And then it cuts back, and we see Hinata in mid-motion, and Ushiwaka, like, in mid-spike. And, again, I love how they, they're just able to, like, mess with the camera work here, to just kind of, like, to keep you surprised. Because this is another shot, like, you know, we're eight episodes in, and these are still shots that we haven't seen from the series. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I, okay. I think I think the the biggest thing for me with this episode is I was so happy that I can still be surprised by this show. Yeah. Because I was very worried, and I've had moments of worry this season that this was going to drag because it was the whole series was going to be centered on one match. But it is still surprising me. I do like the fact that they are treating Hinata as a legitimate volleyball star, you know, and that he's coming up with new moves, new ways to approach new challenges. In the middle of the match, you know, we, we joke about the stupid trope of evolving within the match, right. um, but this feels like a way where it's well done, that he can throw off random surprises and still catch the other team off guard because he has some intuitive knowledge of the game. Um, anyway, o- overall, I thought it was a really good episode. Um I keep saying that about Haikyuu. There are very few <laughs> bad episodes of Haikyuu. There might be right. one that we thought was a little subpar this season. I don't even know about subpar, just not as interesting as right. the other. Subpar so. for Haikyuu. Right, but, yeah. exactly. All right. So anyway, speaking of uh, episodes that are subpar for the series, you want to go on to Scorching Ping Pong Girls? Yes. <laughs> go ahead. Okay, so the episode begins with Hokuto's match against... Uh, the pendulum. I don't yeah. remember her name. I it, she's the pendulum in my mind. Um, so we Yuragi. find out that the pen- her, her name is Yuragi. Okay, Yuragi. Okay, the pendulum <laughs> has an analytical style too, uh-huh. and basically, they're not very clear in this match about how it works. Like, I guess she can like look at Hokuto and just like see her range of motion. Anyway, uh, they kind of just rush through the match. Hokuto gets off, like, a nice counter against her, but it doesn't really matter because she still loses. 
And then it goes on to the doubles match, which is uh, Kirika and Munamune uh, up against... Uh, they're up against uh, Nom Nom or Kunasashi. Mm-hmm. And then uh, Kimiko, who uh, who's broke. Mm-hmm. She, uh, that's her nickname. Yeah. yeah, that's her nickname. Sorry, I should have mentioned that. That's um, okay. Anyway, during this match, we have the two of them. Basically, Kirika and Mune Mune dominate the first match, or the first uh, game. Then they come back, and we find out that Mune Mune is, uh, like, she's holding back, essentially. Because she's worried about Kirika, and she's trying to basically make up for Kirika's motions. Because she doesn't want her to get injured again. And Kirika says, no, don't worry about it, I'll be fine, you just keep being you. And then they come back, and then they just win the game. And, uh, that's... I mean that's kind of the uh, that's kind of it. That's kind that's kind of it. I mean, do you have? I mean, did I miss anything there? Did I miss anything important there? Well, you missed the one joke I laughed at, which was that Kimiko has um, sort of a she's kind of a chunibio, and she has a habit of doing jokes that are only funny to her. And at one point, she. like has this big dramatic reveal where she opens her left eye and she starts laughing maniacally because her left eye is shining blue oh yeah whereas her her right eye is black as if it's like some secret power she's unlocking (laughs) for the match and she so she laughs maniacally for a while everyone's looking on and then she just takes a blue contact out of her (laughs) eye and they're like okay okay you know they ask why do you always have to do that she's like don't worry about it it's just it's what i do (laughs) um so there there were some funny things about kimiko i like the fact that whenever she's trying to be sly she pushes invisible glasses up her nose right um but at the same time she's paired with the most uninteresting character possible kunasashi whose nickname is nom nom because she goes nom 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 and she eats at every opportunity yeah basically that's her only characteristic is that she likes eating I guess. I don't know. I guess it's supposed to be a joke because it's not considered very ladylike. I don't know. I think it's just some weird otaku fetish. Oh, uh, yeah. I'm sure it is. It's Which, I mean... Ugh. The, the, the one thing that I say... So, we, we actually watched this episode together, um, just put each other on speaker, and... I think both of us, while we were watching it, were so frustrated that there was so little ping-pong in an episode in which the only thing that happens is they play ping-pong. Right. Like, this was a really discouraging... Like, I think this episode was actually more discouraging for us than episode four, which was kind of the first real, like, big fan service episode. Yeah. Just because on the basis, like, no, this is where the series is good. This is ping-pong. Like, this is where you guys are supposed to be interesting and fun. Yeah, exactly. And, like, they kind of delve a little bit into Kirika and Mune Mune's game, but it's like, you had kind of called it before. It's like, yeah, they're the, uh, Kirika's the ultimate defense, Mune Mune's the ultimate offense. And that's really all there is to it. Exactly. And they managed to spend about a quarter of the episode going into these flashbacks of how they became a doubles team in order to work together to go to nationals. But all they ever said was effectively that. That Kirika is really good at defense, and Mune Mune is better at offense, so we should be a team. And we're like, all of that was implied. You didn't have to say any of that. Why can't you tell us anything about your relationship? Right. It's like they didn't. Yeah, exactly. It's like this. These flashbacks didn't give us any new information. Yeah. Uh, 
yeah, overall it was really disappointing because even the ping pong, it, it was clear that the animation wasn't quite where it used to be in the first three right. episodes in that they couldn't animate very much of the match. So a lot of it was slow pans and people analyzing each other's stances and sort of cheap uh, speed motion. And there was, there was very little interesting ping pong animation. There was a there lot was... of games that just got skipped completely yeah. and then discussed after the fact by the onlookers. Um, it was a lot of ways to avoid having to animate a ping pong match, basically. Right. There was one good shot, and I think I remember when we were watching it, uh, we both kind of like did this, oh my god, finally. Yeah. Which was, there was like this nice overhead shot of them playing the game. It, uh, we where you get to see everybody in motion moving around on the table. And it's like, and it doesn't look too bad. And it's like, okay, this is what we like out of the series. Yeah, it was good because you had all four characters doing dynamic different moves in order to, you know, stay competitive. There was a good rally they had going. But it was about 15 seconds and then that was it. (laughs) Yeah, and it's like, we were kind of just grasping at that point. It's like, oh, look, there's a good shot, right? Right? Yeah, exactly. I don't know. Overall, I didn't get much from this episode at all. Uh, it was sort of unfortunately predictable. I, I guessed that Hokuto was going to lose. I guessed, of course, the doubles team was going to win. And it's just all setting up for Agari to um, face the team captain. And right. Gosh, who knows what will happen. <laughs> I mean, so, Agari's um, definitely going to win, right? Right. I if mean, she because, has we have to. To get, because we have to have the match between uh, Koyori and uh, Gothalita, so... Yeah. So, yeah. one other thing I just wanted to mention very quickly is, like, even the fan service in this episode felt incredibly lazy. Like what? Okay, so, like, there's a moment where, um... Like, what's her... Uh, Nom Nom. She mentions, like, hey, I wonder what she... It, like, they're just a very, like blatant still shot of Mune Mune's chest. Oh, <laughs> And then it just kind of cuts to Nom Nom, and it's just like, oh, I wonder what she eats. And it's just, it's a shot of just the boobs sitting there. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's like, you're not even, it's like, okay, we can complain about the stuff about, like, Kirika using Mune Mune's chest as a boob pillow or whatever. At least they're keeping it dynamic and fresh. We don't like it, but it's at least fresh, and it's kind of, in, in its movement. This is just, here you go, guys, boobs. Yeah, a still there shot of go. boobs while someone wonders how she got boobs. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's just like, you guys aren't even doing that right anymore. And it's like, and I shouldn't be complaining about that because that's an aspect of the series I don't like. Yeah. But <laughs> if you're going to do something terrible, at least do it well. Right. I mean, look at Keijo. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> All right. Uh, do you okay. want to discuss I... the glories of Tiger Mask? Yeah, do it. Okay, so we're on Tiger Mask episode 8. Um, you know, the rest of the shows have now caught up to it because Tiger Mask missed a week, but uh, it's back. And the bi- the big beats from, from this one, Naoto has a couple flashbacks. You basically get his origin story, um, which is interesting because he doesn't have a background in pro wrestling per se. He actually went to his first pro wrestling match because he was a... Uh, he was homeless. Uh, he had been for- forced from his home. He was living in a camp because of an earthquake in Japan. Uh, he wasn't really going to school. He wasn't doing anything with his life. But he went to a pro wrestling match, and he saw Daisuke 
uh, the guy who was ep- injured in episode one by Yellow Devil. He saw Daisuke uh, performing, and he was so motivated by that performance that he decided that very day to become a pro wrestler. And he went and he joined Zipangu Gym, where Daisuke trained, and he, that's where he met uh, Takuma, and they made a pact to become pro wrestlers together. So that, that it, it was it was interesting in that you got to see a little right. bit of where Naoto came from. Weird that we had to wait eight episodes to <laughs> get any background on him as a character, but or okay. Any, like, of his and Takuma's relationship, really. Yeah, ex- exactly, and we didn't get much. Um... Then they also show that uh, Naoto as Tiger Mask teamed up with Tanahashi in a doubles match, and they did extremely well, and they won quickly against the likes of Bad Luck Fail and Tamatanga, who are weirdly designed characters that we'll probably never see again. <laughs> um, and so they decide to compete as a doubles team for the for the belt. Uh, but then by the end of the episode, Miss X announces that. Uh, well, she announces to the GWM wrestlers, and then GWM announces in Japan that GWM is going to be holding a tournament at their newly constructed dome in Tokyo uh, for masked wrestlers only, aka Tiger Mask, right? Right. Um, and they're going to bring their three best masked wrestlers to fight the best masked wrestlers in Japan. And so they're bringing Tiger the Dark. Uh, Wagner, the European <laughs> champ who's never been introduced before, uh, and Yellow Devil, who is apparently their top-ranked wrestler. So this is the big opportunity. Yellow Devil's going to appear, so um, Naoto backs out of his commitments with New Japan Pro Wrestling, and he enters to fight Yellow Devil, and then Takuma is also excited because he's been told that he himself will have the opportunity to fight Yellow Devil in Japan. So it's pretty much just a setup um, for, I guess, the last arc in this yeah. show where they, they finally meet up with Yellow Devil. Right. I'm predicting that we're going to get a fight against we- uh, Wagner first. Yeah. Uh and then somehow we're gonna like we're probably gonna see Takuma's match against uh, Yellow Devil. Then we're gonna have to see. Uh, then we're probably gonna get like a finale, like a two-part special finale of Tiger Mask and somehow Tiger the Dark fighting together. Yeah. Against Yellow Devil. Yes. And um, all I can say is, man, I can't believe this is just a twelve-episode series. What do you mean? Well, okay. So the original Tiger Mask. My understanding oh, of it's like eighty episodes. It's like eighty episodes, and I mean, okay, it's a it's a marketing ploy for like actual wrestling in Japan. Fine, like, but the whole point of it was that uh, Global Wrestling Monopoly would keep bringing in like new, like even crazier opponents than last time for Tiger Mask to take down, right? Uh huh. And and so eventually it ends at the big climax of finally fighting Yellow Devil. And it's like, I guess that's what they're getting to here. But we just don't have the same journey that I assume happened in the original Tiger Mask. Like, they kind of, they kind of, uh, they kind of blew it, like, in the first, like, couple of episodes with, like, having a couple of, like, really crazy wrestlers. And then they just got really, they got, they've gotten really lazy. Well, they got sidetracked with a couple episodes of apparently filler that may or may not be sponsored by an idol group. (laughs) Right, but... 
like, you know, that sort of thing is forgivable when you've got, like, a long-running series, right? Because it's like, okay, you need filler because you got to keep putting out episodes to keep people interested coming back week to week until you finally get to your big arc. Exactly, but when it's 12 episodes, like, it's why like no waste two? It's excuse for that. Yeah, I know. It's, it's, there's no excuse when it's 12 episodes, and it's like, we've barely gotten any sort of, like, real, like, interesting or, like, at least fun and kinetic, ener- like, kinetic, like, matches. Well, yeah. Like, and the 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 recent stuff is forgivable if there was some development for Tiger Mask, but right. there really wasn't much of anything um, in this episode. Naoto as as Tiger Mask when he had to pull out of the New Japan Pro Wrestling event, he said, "Thank you. You have all taught me the depth of Japanese wrestling." Right. And it's like, okay. What does that mean, and how, and what are you talking about? Like, okay, so real quick, I'm gonna try and exp- I'm g- going to try and contextualize that line because I don't know if we talked about this on the show or not, but we- we've talked about it just a little bit. How we found out because uh, the New Japan Pro Wrestling is an actual gym in Japan oh, who is yeah. actually co-sponsoring the show. So basically, this has to be the moment where Tiger Mask has to procre- proclaim the glories. Of New Japan Pro Wrestling. Oh. So, like, this isn't really so much... I mean, they're trying to do it within the context of the show. Really, it's just kind of an ad for uh, NJPW. Uh, oh. Huh. Man, so, how much of this like show an ad, is an basically ad? basically paying lip service to them. That's crazy. Okay. Um, And not only that, but it also has to be... It also has to show that... That NJW, uh, NJPW... I keep wanting to say... Yeah. WP, but whatever. Um, it has to show that they're completely understanding of Tiger Mask's glorious quest and desire for, like, his needed revenge. It's like, no, they're going to let him go because they're actually the good guys. They're disappointed, but they're going to let him. Yeah, which is funny because they have no understanding of why he would do it. They're like, oh, do you think he's doing it for the money? They're like, no, no, he would never do it for the money. I'm sure he has a good reason. Right, exactly. And it's funny because as, like, after he had decided to do that, I thought for a second, like, oh, they're actually going to do something interesting with the conflict here because now uh, Tiger Mask has to kind of give up on his, you know, like, you know, the loyalty he feels for these people versus, like, you know, the chance to finally get back at, uh, like, Yellow Devil after all these years. No, no, never mind. It's good. They're good. Right. And my assumption was, oh, these... Because the whole issue is that the finals for New Japan Pro Wrestling are scheduled for the same day as the finals for Global Wrestling Monopoly. Because Global Wrestling Monopoly is trying to put New Japan Pro Wrestling out of business by having a promotion war and dividing the fandom, basically. Um, and so my my guess as I was watching the episode was that, oh... Tiger, they're gonna. The events are at different times, so Tiger Mask is gonna try to do both. So he's gonna go wrestle, and he's gonna win the belt in New Japan Pro Wrestling, and then he's gonna like get in a motorcycle and sprint over to the other event, <laughs> and then he's gonna beat Yellow Devil, even though he's tired. You know, that was a hundred percent my assumption. Right. But no, he just says, "Okay, I quit." <laughs> <laughs> Like, why did you have to do the least interesting thing possible with no internal conflict? Right, yeah, exactly. And it's like, the, I think the best way to describe the show is just lazy. Yeah, I mean, it's it's 
fine. It's less bad than some things. That's what I'll say for it so far. Yeah, I guess. I don't know. My opinion of the series has been slowly going downhill. Well, yeah, ever since Red Death Mask. Right, and I don't know. We don't need to bring up Red Death Mask every single time we talk about. I know, but I just, I just pine for the good old days. The good old days of one month ago. Yeah, exactly. All right, so uh, if we don't want to dwell on that, do you want to move on to All Out? Okay, so this episode actually has a pretty interesting premise. So we discover that uh, Kanagawa High, their rugby team, actually has a, an advisor uh, who apparently dislikes them. Like, he's basically just let them play, and he just doesn't interfere with it. He doesn't really care, and he doesn't see the value in their team. So their coach, Komaru, goes and talks with him and basically requests that he uh, go watch their next game. And he's lined up a practice match with uh, Sagami High. Uh, who's actually, they, uh, they, uh, they got the, uh, runner-up in the prefectural? Yes. Yes. And basically, their whole thing, and so the game starts with them, and their whole thing is that they seem very nice and respectful, but they actually have a very dirty method of play. And so, so they actually, uh, they try and goad people on their team, is specifically... Uh, Iwashimizu and Ibumi. No, Orohano. Yep. And they basically, uh, they basically touch upon very sore moments in their past. So, uh, Iwashimizu, they kind of goad about how he injured Miyuki all those years ago. And we find out that, uh, Oharano actually had a younger brother that he, uh, ended up not, basically discouraged from continuing on with his own rugby career. Right. And he, they basically are able to goad them into ba- into making mistakes. Mm-hmm. And the ending of the episode basically implies that the uh, the instructor who came down to watch the match basically is like, yeah, this is pointless. I don't know what you wanted me to do. Like, I don't know what you wanted me to glean from this. They're just playing, ru- they're just playing ball. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was... Uh... It was an interesting episode in that the conflict was... There There was a lot of conflict with the other team. There was also a lot of conflict between players on Keijo. Um One thing we mentioned when we were watching... We watched this one together, too, was that there's a lot less team unity... Excuse me, I said Keijo. I met Kanagawa. We're having some trouble with names on All Out. Um... <laughs> Kanagawa slash Jinko, the main school. So there's there's a lot of problems on their team. Despite having gone through the training camp from hell, they don't really operate as a team entirely. They're still right. a group of individuals trying to figure out how to be together. I liked the fact that the, the training camp didn't automatically make them perfect teammates. It didn't make them all right. work together. It didn't make them like each other. Uh you see this particularly with Oharano in this episode where he gets so pissed off by the goading and by sort of getting the focus of the other team's attacks that he ends up exploding at his other teammates and blaming them for his issues with kicking and ultimately gets pulled from the game by the coach and he throws a fit. Right. Uh, which isn't something you'd see in a lot of sports shows. Right, because generally you might see them get, like, 
you, you see them get angry, but they eventually find Solace like, no, wait, I have to, pick, to pull it together for the team. Mm-hmm. This actually feels more of how you would expect an actual teenager to react. He's lashing out at others. He's because he doesn't know how to take blame for himself. Mm-hmm. And he does, and he's, and he's not realizing how toxic his presence is actually, like at that moment, mm-hmm. to the extent where he's just like he's not even ta- like no, it's all their guys' fault. It's like why won't you guys doing it? It's like and he's not acknowledging his own issues right now. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean, I, I, it's like you said, they. Sports series that focus on high school teams tend to downplay the extent to which these characters are 16 years old. <laughs> right. Uh, because you want to see the best possible version of a 16-year-old. But this right. felt much more realistic where they throw fits and they yell at each other and they don't like each other, but they're all there. Right. Um, and I, I like that a lot. It's kind of interesting because, like, so... In a lot of westerns, like a lot of western stories about sports, basically, there is generally this implication that you know you have to learn the magic of teamwork, essentially. And I know it's corny and stuff mm-hmm. like that, but it's interesting because in Japan, the notion of teamwork is already kind of assumed. Uh. So it's interesting to see in all in all out how. We're starting to see, like, no, this is actually going to... We're actually going to start watching these people develop, like, together as a team. Well, right. And you wonder, to what extent does Japanese media treat teamwork as assumed? Right. Even though that's not how it actually is. You know, like, do... Is there just a a social pressure to create an image of teamwork being essential and fundamental to high school teams because that's what people want to see even though if you actually talk to a real japanese teenager that would not be the case and they'd be probably more similar to an american teenager than we assume we just that sort of our stereotype and to some extent the stereotype that japanese media presents is that they are just better teammates than westerners are right um, but that's the, but all out is saying like, no, no, that's not reality. It doesn't just happen. You have to work at it. Right. And I, I kind of appreciate it for that. Mm-hmm. Like I, I have been pretty cool on this, even as you've been warming up to it, I've still been kind of cool on it, but this episode actually has been turning me around. Are you like, sure it's, it's not just because scorching ping pong girls has finally disappointed you beyond the point of redemption (laughs) that you need to like something other than the top three (laughs) no 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 because i don't think it's disappointed me to the past to the point of redemption just yet okay well that's if koyori's game sucks then it will but this is about all out not that okay okay (laughs) but uh one other thing i wanted to bring up as well is about i like the team advisor well i mean i don't like him but i like his character uh-huh. Just on the basis of he try he basically tries to excuse his lack of input for this team as basically being no, you know, it's like what did I do wrong? I'm just letting them play and do as they want, like whatever. I I don't care. Like I'm just, you know, they learn how to do that themselves, you know, teaching them to be independent. And you know, Komaru basically is like, you know, there is something to be said for independence, but you're not doing that. What you do is you put you show them where their goal is and then tell them to go. You don't just ignore like, them. Let them be as is. Yeah. yeah. 
And I thought that was because so a lot of series again they have this sort of there's always this team advisor who doesn't quite understand the sport or know what the sport is, but you know they're they're driven by their students' passion to try and learn more about it. We see that you know in Haikyuu with their advisor, and we see it in uh, in Chihayafuru with their with their old lady co- coach. Yeah. But and so this was kind of an interesting twist on that type of character because yeah he doesn't know the game and he doesn't really care and he doesn't see the value in it but whatever they approached him and he needed to te- he needed to be an advisor to a club so yeah sure whatever they can take o- they can do what they want he doesn't care yeah he just approves any request they make and otherwise ignores them right um, but yeah so it was funny that he Komaru, I think honestly the best scene of the episode was the first one with yeah. Komaru's speech where he didn't raise his voice he didn't yell at this guy but he just told him like you are failing as an educator because right. you don't care about your own students and you haven't taught them how to dream and, um and I thought that was a pretty powerful message to start off with right it's like this is a this is a series that's getting very real mhm like, in its interactions, like, again, because, you know, a lot of other sports series try and romanticize the relationships between all these characters. Mm. But All Out is actually trying to be like, yeah, the coach and the advisor, they're not going to get along either because they have two very fundamental, fundamentally different views. Mm-hmm. Yeah, on I how mean, the team... and the advisor basically just doesn't see a value in sports. He just right. sees it as a ball game that children play and it's not right. real life. So, yeah. Um, so yeah, it's, it's getting good. It's getting good. It'll be interesting to see how they overcome, or if they overcome Sagami's play style, which is basically, they do borderline fouls, but don't get caught. They verbally antagonize the other team in order to get them off their game, which Coach Kamaru says is legal and effective, but dirty. Yeah. Uh, So it'll be interesting to see whether or not justice prevails. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, well, with that happy note, you want to move on to uh, Days? Sure. (laughs) Alright, so Days Episode 9, the only series still one episode ahead. Um, (laughs) Alright, so we've got the... Basically, this is the meat of the match against Keogawara. And so you saw the first play in the last episode, uh, and then this dives into the, the middle section so early on Sukumoto gets fouled because he's playing so well that he's intercepting balls and he's making steals and he's uh surprising the other team with how far ahead he is and how effective he is uh which and so him him getting fouled forces a free kick um and uh Se- Seiseki decides to put two blockers in front of the ball on the free kicked so that they can't see exactly where it's going to get kicked initially. Um, and Kimishida takes the kick and he kicks a curve ball. Basically, he kicks it straight up, but it, it curves down and goes into the goal unopposed. <laughs> and everyone freaks out because it was a one in a hundred shot and they just made it. Um, and then the the rest of the episode, no one else is able to score, although there's a lot of very dramatic close calls. Um, Sakamoto realizes that it is easiest to steal the ball from his opponents 
after they steal the ball from you because they have a moment of uh, complacency where they're so excited about having stolen the ball that they don't protect themselves and so he steals which okay interesting note but whatever um, so that <laughs> that becomes Tsukamoto's secret skill is that he's always there to intercept the ball and keep it on Seiseki's side um, also towards the end uh, Oshibara is running in pursuit uh, and he tears a hamstring and collapses and knocks over the Keogawara player in front of him and that results in him getting a penalty inside the penalty area which and he also gets a red card and gets ejected from the game all in one play yeah uh and then so he he gets taken off to the medical section and, and he's crying because he's so upset that he'll never be as good as Sukamoto which I don't know where that came from. <laughs> and then he walks back onto the field, and it turns out that Usui and the Seiseki's goalie, whose name probably exists, uh, managed to block the shot off screen, and we never see what happened, but Seiseki's great, and they're still winning. And by, by the, at the end of the episode, they get possession back, and Tsukamoto is able to get an opportunity to kick, and we'll just have to see whether or not he scored next week. He probably did. He probably did. Ah, <laughs> uh, man. So... I don't know how I said that much about it, because while I was watching the episode, it felt like there was literally no content. Yeah, I know. I took, like, four, five things of notes, like five points. Yeah. Most of which were jokes. Okay. But, anyway... So, something I don't get about this episode, what was the point of making sure Ushibara got a red card when... I mean, he pulled his hamstring. He was going to get ejected from the game regardless. Well, yeah, I think it was just trying to layer on what a dire situation it was. Because, like, not only did he get injured, not only did he get a penalty in the penalty box forcing the other, you know, team to get a free kick. Oh, he also got a red card, so they weren't able to substitute someone in for him. That was the big thing, is that oh. Seiseki, since he got a red card, Seiseki was playing a man down. Okay. So it was, okay. like, the worst possible situation. Okay, okay. I didn't realize that's what the red card did. My bad. I kind of missed that part because I was laughing too much over the line. Well, if they lose now, it's all 14's fault. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I just love the matter-of-fact way that's dropped. Like, it's not even like this matter, like this dramatic thing. It's just like, oh yeah, no, this is just another part of the conversation. Yeah, no, it's 14's fault. Yeah, totally. Exactly, which is funny because no one's acknowledging the fact that he just tore his hamstring on the field. Yeah. Clearly was injured. And they're like, wow, what an idiot. Why'd he tear his hamstring? <laughs> like, wow, seriously? And it's like, at the same time, it's like, why did Ushibar tear his hamstring? Right, that was the big thing for me, was that he tore his hamstring, but there was no build-up. There was nothing saying like, oh man, my leg is really sore, I feel stiff, but I'm going to push through it because I'm a member of this. You know, there was none of that. It right. was just completely randomly... He's sprinting, and then he collapses, and he's like, I guess I tore my hamstring. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> I, I will defend something here, which is... So you mentioned, it's like, hey, where's this whole thing about him complaining that he's not as good as Sukumo Sukumoto? 
they did kind of try and establish a rivalry between Sukumoto and Ushibara because if you remembered, Sukumoto was talking about how he wanted to play Ushibara's position. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Before, so I guess that's where it comes from. I I get where it comes from, but I didn't understand where it came from in this episode specifically. Like, what in this match was setting Sukumoto so far apart from Ushibara? And who was talking about it? I don't think anyone in this match said, like, boy, oh boy, Sukumoto's doing better than Oshibara. How about that? What do you think of that, Oshibara? You know, there was none of that. It was just, I mean, clearly he's got some issues in his head if we want to give the show that much credit. Um, Which, I mean, I don't think we have to. No, but... You know, just recently, he was gladly patting Sukumoto on the back and saying, Boy, oh boy, you'll be the captain someday when you're a senior. So, like, does he like him or not? Yeah, like, I I don't know. Again, the series is very inconsistent about characterization. They bring up character details and conflicts when it's basically out of nowhere just to kind of serve a point. Mm-hmm. To kind of, I guess, move the plot along. And to kind of, it, it's trying to force tension in there without ever actually building it up yeah i don't know the the so days i watched the first the first half of the show because i enjoyed seeing how bad it was getting right i think it's really kind of plateaued in its badness and it's sort of just consistently bad mostly in the same ways every week it's not even interesting in how bad it is anymore it's like okay missed opportunities for humor missed opportunities for characterization and a whole lot of randomness every week um so the only thing i think i can properly call is penalty yeah exactly we at least we actually saw the referee do something this right just the most overdramatic uh like when ushibara falls on the guy just this overdramatic penalty yeah, I did like that you could actually vocally hear that, and that everyone <laughs> drew attention to it, and everyone in the crowd pointed, it's your fault, it's your fault. And he's like, but I got injured. They're like, you got injured being a jerk, so get out of the game, loser. I bet Sukumoto's better than you, too. They're like, why would you say that, referee? No, that didn't happen. Yeah, I wish, but... Yeah. Yeah, I, you know, it's like, I almost want to call out the fact that it still doesn't know how to do penalties, and the fact that clearly it was an accident. Meanwhile, we have other characters who are pulling on the character's shirts. We Again, this is no all com- ground we've tread before. But so. it happens every episode. There's still a bunch of uncalled fouls and a lot of randomness. Anyway. Right. Uh, so, okay. how about Keijo? Was that random? Uh, actually, yes, it was. <laughs> oh, let me hear about it. Okay, so the basic plot of this episode it begins with they're doing practice matches for all the different players uh nozomi goes up against a new character by the name of usagi who's a very speedy fighter i don't know if you know this or not but usagi in japanese is bunny okay um it's important for her character because she wears a bunny hood so oh Oh, okay good to know (laughs) Not, not only that but she's very light and very tiny that's her whole thing and that's why she's a good opponent for Nozomi to go up against, because we had to just deal with her whole situation with her butt weight. And so this is the perfect <laughs> chance for her to uh, show off her new counter to speedy characters, which is the butt flash. Okay. Um, it is kind of interesting how she uses it. So the whole idea is that she can kind of flick her butt so fast 
that it's almost like a very it's it's like a single shot in a butt gatling but the whole thing is nozomi can still dodge it pretty well uh because you know again she's so tiny and light that like just nozomi like no matter how how much faster nozomi's gotten you know she can still uh she can still dodge it but the interesting thing about the butt flash is that she uses it to maneuver usagi over to the ledge so she's able to, even though she's not fast enough to hit her with it, she's still fast enough to use it to control her movement. And so she ma- she manages to corner her, and she tries to use her final attack against her, but Usagi manages to bend down, basically limbo underneath it. However, uh. what? And from there we get the line, I have to push my ass for, to its furthest limits. <laughs> um, and so what she ends up doing is she uses her ultimate technique, the uh, the meteor drop. Since she pauses over Usagi while she's underneath her, and she just slams her butt down. It's a very satisfying impact, actually. Um, and so then, a month passes after that. What? <laughs> okay, so there is a little, um, there is a little bit there about how Usagi, uh, like, is in love with Kusa- uh, Kujasaki, who's the number one elite. Yeah, great. And they have this whole meeting at, di- at the dinner about the, uh, about the East-West game. Then it just sort of suddenly shifts a month later. There's like there's barely any transition to this, and they've basically gone to the other the, to the to the West Academy, I want to say, and they are the uh, basically apparently uh, their main the main school uh, Satoshi has never won the East West War, and uh, basically they're the one of the instructors there is talking with the news. They're smack talking the specifically the instructors at Satoshi uh, Academy. Nozomi jumps in. She says, "Hey, you don't say that about our instructors." And then a mystery girl basically comes up and says, "You don't have the right to talk about that to defend them, considering the fact you guys always lose." Her name is Maya. She's able to basically put her butt up against uh, Nozomi and blow her away without any form of wind up. And so we discover that the East-West War is basically fought in three separate four-on-four matches. And basically, Miata is the only one who's on a team different from the rest of her friends, uh, or the rest of the girls from her dorm. She's on a team with uh, Kujasaki and her previous opponent, Rinrin. And then they start up their match against uh, the first team. And that's pretty much where the episode ends. Hmm. I uh, have to say that I do not regret not watching this show. <laughs> um, I am glad that I put my uh, commitment to my fiance above my commitment to sports anime. Because <laughs> I don't feel like I'm missing much. Uh, it's not great. So my biggest complaint with this is that, okay, so we're doing four on fours now, all right? Fine. Okay. So we're doing team. we're doing a team battle. All right. We have never really had team battles established up to this point. Oh, okay. Like, that's actually my biggest complaint about the episode. Because, so, I have to imagine that this is going to have a different dynamic to a one-on-one match, which is really all we've seen up to this point. And, you know, if they wanted to have, like, to establish four-on-four matches, they needed to do this, like, before... Yeah, any time before. <laughs> like any time. We, we needed to have a match to explain the importance of the 4 on 4 match, kind of explain how it has a different dynamic to a 1-on-1, one one, you know, stuff like that. But no, like, this is like the big game that has been hyped up for the series, and it's a completely different format for what we're used to. Hmm. 
And it, I, and I, the whole reason why they're doing it is because they've established all these important characters and they don't want different characters to be sitting out on the sidelines. It's a good way to include a lot of the secondary characters that have been introduced so that they are still useful, but we don't have to draw too much attention away from the main matches of the main four girls. Hmm. And I believe that's what they're trying to... That's why they're doing the 4-on-4. Four and, four. and again, I don't have a problem with that. It's an interesting way to do it. But I don't think now is the time, you know, the big game to establish how it's played. Well, yeah, because... From what I can tell as an outside observer, it would be frustrating because there's no clarity for who's a strong team. Because you know who are strong individuals... But there's no development of like power rankings for teams. Right. If we can kind of go back to Scorching Ping Pong Girls, we know, for example, that Mune Mune, she's decent in a one-on-one match, but her real strength comes in doubles because she has somebody to make up for her terrible defense. Yeah. But so at least don't... that was explained. What was that? And so at least that was explained. Oh yeah, yeah, basically. But you know, in this, it's just like, okay, now we're suddenly doing team matches. I guess the whole reason, the other reason we're doing this is that it was explained before that the character Alba is supposed to be a good leader. And so this gives her a good chance to show off her main technique, which is basically being, you know, she's the analytical player and she can basically play the leader in her team match with Nozomi. Um, I would also just like to point out the fact that Usagi was basically just introduced at the beginning of this episode and we were suddenly jumping into the match. Mm. Which, it felt weird to me because they were kind of establishing that Usagi really didn't like uh, Nozomi. Because she, it's pretty quickly established that she doesn't like her because Kujisaki pays all the attention to Nozomi and doesn't pay any attention to Usagi. But the problem is that we don't know who this character is. There's like, there's basically no setup to this character. Mm. It's just suddenly we're in the match. Right. So, and, a lot of randomness. Yeah, basically, a lot of randomness. It was a good way to describe it. Huh. Good. Like, I would have liked to have seen something, like, to have set up this character beforehand. Like, I don't know, maybe Nozomi, you know, while they're in the hotel, she runs into Usagi, and she has an interaction with her. You know, this is all very basic traditional sports series stuff. Yeah. Where we kind of meet the character before we fight them. Yeah. So, I'm interested, a lot of the appeal initially with Keijo, and I guess continuing, is just the uniqueness of how brazen it is with its fan service, like literally just throwing it in your face. Um, has, Has the show managed to maintain any shock value, or is it kind of getting repetitive? Uh, I'm kind of numb to it, I guess I would say. There is one time when I got really taken aback, and it was last episode, where all of a sudden, I feel like almost out of nowhere, Kuchisaki just started groping Nozomi, just blatantly. Right. And, but it's like, it really has to do stuff like that now, to really, like, get any sort of reaction out of me. Right, because flying butts, at a certain point... You've seen enough where it's not weird anymore. (laughs) Yeah, it's basically just not like, okay, this isn't arousing, this isn't, like, shocking, this is just kind of there. Yeah. I mean, it it always seemed odd on the surface, but... Right. Who knows. 
So, I don't know. Maybe it will pick up. Um, something I'd like to point out is that something I would like to do is go back and read the first 30 chapters of the manga that apparently it skipped. Yeah. The series skipped to see how it kind of helps contextualize it. Okay. Um, because that's kind of what a lot of the series is missing, is a lot of contextualization. Because it it's relying, again, you know, just solely on the shock value of its content right now. And it's not really doing a lot. They're trying to also establish it as being an actual sports series. But it just, you know, I just, I don't. 100% buy it because it's just it's lacking a lot of the you know a lot of the nice things we kind of take for granted in a lot of sports series like you know proper setup of characters <laughs> alright so uh, speaking of improperly set up characters do you want to close out with Long Riders? yeah 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 do it alright so Long Riders episode 6 they'll make this show eventually um <laughs> Alright, so the, the episode starts off with Amy looking back at the photos of all the many, many adventures she had in the first five episodes. Uh, <laughs> and then it cuts, they go on a bike ride with all the girls and then decide that Amy wants to go back to Yabitsu Pass now that she actually has a proper bicycle. Uh, and not a child's toy, she's going to try and ride up a hill again. And so then they do that, and she does well, and she finishes it. And that's basically as much development as you get. Um, and then after, after the fact, uh, Amy learns of the existence of team jerseys. It's hilarious <laughs> how many months it takes her to realize that team jerseys exist. And they tell her that, you know, groups of friends or clubs will get team jerseys. And she says to herself, by herself, team jerseys, a symbol of your friends. And then she <laughs> frantically decides that she wants to get team jerseys with her friends to celebrate the fact that they're friends. So she gets together with all her friends and has a, con <laughs> has a blushing confession where she closes her eyes and says that she wants to get team jerseys together so that they can ride together and do a flesh. And uh, Hinako says, well, we can't do a flesh. And she says, oh, what? Why not? Because you can't do a flesh until you're 20. And so I guess we're kind of getting the character ages now? I didn't even think about it, to be honest. Yeah, well, I mean, they're freshmen in college, so it's not that well, I guess that's fair. Um, uh, but they decide to get jerseys anyway to become a cycling Better friends. team. Um, and they sit around in the woods and yeah. decide on a team name, and they throw out a bunch of random Yuri baiting between Aoi and Amy, and then randomly Saki says that they should be Fortuna... Because it was the Roman goddess of good luck, and everyone says, okay. And that's pretty much the end of the episode. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, go ahead. I just wanted to say, I'm kind of disappointed with their team name. Mm. And it's going to sound kind of weird, okay? So, I kind of like the scene where they're kind of all being getting together and just kind of being friends and goofing off, okay? Uh -huh. Like, when they're kind of like trying to discuss what their team name should be. Yeah. You know... Because, you know, we've been there. We've been there with Koshian cast. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Trying to come and, up with a name for this. Yeah, exactly. And 
one of the big things about that was I kind of like that they were kind of being goofy and silly about it for a while. You know, they're kind of throwing out random names. You know, and, you know, names that kind of go with their sense of humor. You know, they kind of start having in-jokes because they have to start making fun of Amy or, uh... Aoi. Aoi about her love of Amy and how a lot of her team names have to deal with, uh... Amy in some way, which, you know, I know you kind of threw it out as Jerry baiting and it is a little bit, but it, you know, it still felt like a natural part of the discussion. It did feel like friends egging on other friends. Yeah. And then out of nowhere, Saki says, you know, whereas the, the earlier suggestions were like, we should call it Peta Run Run right. or Team Amigo. Or uh, Team Fairy Princess. Exactly. Yeah. And they're like, oh, you're so cutesy. Yeah. The, the banter was okay. But the, out of nowhere, Saki says, no, we should be Fortuna because she has a wheel and it means good luck and wheels and good luck is us. And so we should do that. And everyone says, okay, it's decided. I guess <laughs> what I don't like about that is that it kind of takes me out of it a little bit because it's like, okay, so they have their fun, but no, let's get serious here for a moment. Yeah. Also, why are they getting serious? Because they literally already established that they can't do competitions for at least another year. Right. So like, there's, they, they got time to go over this. It would have been interesting to see if they had a couple episodes and then something happened that led them to think, okay, what about this name? Yeah, exactly. There was some connection to something other than... Saki doing a Google search for good luck, you know, right. which is basically how it came across. Right. Uh, and it, and it doesn't. Like... Yeah, go ahead. Oh, okay. Uh, basically, I I just don't like because you know they're a bunch of friends goofing off. They're gonna like if you remember how we came up with the name of Koshi and Cass. We it was one of the first things we threw out. Threw out a bunch of other things and we're like, screw it. We both like Koshi and Cass. Let's just do it. Yeah. And, like, that's kind of how a lot... I feel like 90% of decision-making, that's how it's done between friends. Yeah, exactly. Like, you don't have a big, serious, dramatic moment of, like, oh, wow, that's a perfect name. It feels yeah. very fake. Yeah, now we all agree together. Right. It's like, oh, that's a beautiful name. It's like, no, honestly, if in, like, a real group of friends, somebody throws that out, they'd be made fun of repeatedly. Yeah, exactly. They'd be like, nerd... You know? <laughs> um, and then maybe after a little bit, it's like, no, but seriously, Fortuna kind of rolls off the tongue. You want to go with it? Yeah, you know what? It's actually not that bad of a name. Yeah, exactly. Um, but again, this uh, show has very little interest in reality. Uh, or cycling, to be honest. Right. <laughs> yeah, we're kind of at that point now. Um, a couple of things I want to point, I desperately need to point out. The most important things about this episode, and there's two of them. Okay. Uh, the ran a couple random English phrases uh one was that when amy was at the top of um yabitsu pass she saw another team come by and they were the the, oh. the team with the jerseys that inspired her to get jerseys of her own and the team's name was in all caps cat cycler <laughs> with little cat footprints so it wasn't just random they don't know what the word for cat they they're cyclers who like cats that's their team and they love cats and i thought that was amazing um the second thing that i have to bring up is that when amy was perusing team jerseys online she went to uh your favorite cycling website and mine cyclecycle.com <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> I didn't even notice the the uh, the URL there. Yeah, it was beautiful. Um, I, I that and the the stupid ongoing joke with the alpaca store where the employee adds the word paca onto every sentence she says. Like, there's just a bunch of really dumb English jokes in this show, which is one of the few good things about it. Right. Um, I'm not sure if Cat Cycler was intentionally hilarious. No, I don't think it was. But, but... I, I, I really hope they come out with Cat Cycler merch where you can, like, <laughs> buy a team jersey. Oh, yeah, get, like, one of the team jerseys like you can for, like, Yawamushi Pedal or, like, for Q. Yeah. Yeah, no, we need the Cat Cycler one. Yeah, I agree. Um, that was, that, uh, so that was a, that was a rare moment of beauty in this terrible show. <laughs> oh my god. Um, just one final thing I want to point out as well. We okay. were totally right in our prediction, which was that they're just going to start pretending that Saki has always been part of the show. Yeah. <laughs> I know. She's just, she's at every event. Whereas yeah, last week they said. she's just there. Like yeah. this girl that's like, oh yeah, we rarely run into her sometimes, but she's our friend. Now all of a sudden. No, she's just there now. Yeah, and she's become their, like, one of their best friends. Like, we're all friends together, the five of us. Like, well, if Saki was always off doing other stuff, doesn't she have other friends? No, she just has no. these people now, who she's gonna get team jerseys with to express how good of friends they are <laughs> this week. Um, gosh, this show sucks. Uh, oh my god, I, it's kind of taken over uh, days for me as the fun one to talk about, though. Yeah, because it's 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 bad in interesting ways, like we were saying. But yeah, yeah so it'll be interesting. I, I want to see if it can devolve further. Um, right. Yeah, at the end of this episode, Amy said, No one's ever depended on me for anything before, but now they depend on her to come up with a lo- team jersey design. So, I don't know. We've only got a few weeks left with this show. I'm not sure they're ever going to do a race. No, I don't think so. All Unless right. they, they really got to rush it then. Yeah. Because we're going to oh. have to have, like, a quick time skip then. Because, like, they're, like, 19, right? Like, Amy and Aoi are uh, 19, yeah. I think. So yeah. they have to wait another year. Yeah. I don't know. We'll see. Either way, it'll be disappointing. Oh, I'm sure. All right. Well, this is a fun episode, Matt. I'm glad uh, we could take the time, as always. This is a, a highlight of my week. And uh, I hope a one with yours, too. Oh, yeah. All right, so if you would be so kind, could you hit the credits for me? Do I have to? You do! Our logo design is by James Ratcliffe. The theme music is Fly High by Burnout Syndromes, covered and performed by Luke Bartka. You can follow Koshiencast on Facebook, YouTube, and Twitter, and our email is koshiencast at gmail.com. Make sure to subscribe, rate, and review. We'll be back next week with the best and worst from the world of sports anime, and until then, keep training.